Welcome to the Irish History Guide, a podcast to use as a guided tour or a standalone entertainment. My name is Peter Ashmore and I'm not a historian or an expert. Rather, I'm an enthusiast, someone who loves learning about the history of Ireland. And as a native of Dublin, I enjoy taking frequent trips around the country's historical landmarks after rigorous research to try relive, in my mind, some of their stories. And I'm hoping people who visit those places can listen to this and relive it too. In this episode, I'll briefly talk about the history of the Lapuer family who foresee themselves in Ireland in the 12th century before telling the stories from three of their homes in Waterford. Dunhill Castle, Curramore House and Kilmeaden Castle. You can also see pictures and additional information associated with the stories along with the text of the podcast at irishhistoryguide.home.blog. This is the Three Lapuer Castles of Waterford. In 1171, King Henry II visited Ireland shortly after the beginnings of the Norman Conquest to meet with Richard de Clare, or Strongbow. The visit was meant to assure his dominance over the Normans who had left from Wales in 1169 and what became a mostly successful conquering of the island. During his stay, he would also see to receive submission from Ireland's major kings. A charter written by Henry II at this time, allowing people of England to reside in Ireland, still exists today in the Dublin City Library. After Strongbow took Dublin, the king was concerned that without his personal presence, the Normans of Ireland may establish an independent kingdom separate of Anglo-Norman England. This could pose a much greater threat than the Gaelic tribes as the Normans were more advanced in warfare than the natives of Ireland. In 1177, the king visited Ireland again, but this time for administrative purposes, rather than potentially threatening ones, as Strongbow had died the year previously. He sought to appoint his youngest son and yet to be king, John Lackland, as Lord of Ireland and grant lands to Anglo-Norman lords who would swear fealty to John. Among King Henry II's accompaniment to Ireland were four men thought to be brothers from Devon. Sir Robert, Sir Roger, Simon and William Lapuer, with Sir Robert heading the clan. Sir Robert acted as Marshal of Ireland and was commissioned with Hugh de Lacey, later of Trim Castle, as Justiciers of Ireland, all after he became a grantee of lands in Waterford lands that were taken from the O'Flanagans by the king. Seemingly an ambitious man, Robert was held in lower regards by Geraldus Cambrensis, or Gerald of Wales, the 12th century chronicler who wrote of him, he was dishonourable and so lacking in activity, and according to some, he later settled in Meath. Sir Roger the Beardless, on the other hand, was written of by the same chronicler, saying, There was not a man who did more valiant acts than Roger Lapoer, who, although he were young and beardless, yet showed himself a lusty, valiant and courageous gentleman. Over time, the family built up a reputation with large forts and castles to defend that reputation on the lands of the entire county of Waterford. The land known as Puerche, or Powers Country, spanned from Waterford City to the Comra Mountains and the water beyond Lismore. During the next few centuries, the occupying Anglo-Normans became hibernicised by marrying into Gaelic families and becoming part of the Irish culture itself which bared the term Hiberno-Norman, or later Anglo-Irish, similar to the Dane invasion centuries earlier, resulting in the Hiberno-Norse. As the Crown granted the Lapuers more land and titles and as a result more power, some of them began to consider Waterford their own country essentially, appointing their own judges for their courts using Breton law and introducing their own levies. Cashlan Dunoil, Dunhill Castle 
The specific ancestral history of the Lapuers are somewhat uncertain until the 13th century under the reign of King John, which is exactly the period when Dunhill becomes apparent, with some exterior castle walls that are still partially standing dating to this time period. The earliest mention of the now ruined church, however, was in 1302, where a record of taxation exists for its serving area. Spanning between the castle and the church is where the medieval village of Dunisle stood. A string of wooden houses with smoke billowing through the thatched roofs, people and farm animals roaming the muddy paths while being overlooked by the priest's tower of residence, which was once attached to the front of the church. The name Dunisle, meaning fort on the cliff, suggests that a Gaelic wooden castle existed here until the building of a stone Anglo-Norman castle, peering over the River Anne, most likely erected by the Baron of Dunhill, Henry Fitzphilip Le Poer. As mentioned previously, a large portion of the Le Poer clan had become hibernicised and obtained a fearsome reputation by the 14th century. Nearly 200 years after landing in Ireland with an English king, some of them were now openly rebelling against the crown. During this time, they had frequently launched raids on Waterford City alongside the O'Driscoll clan with mixed results. In September 1368, they suffered a Pyrrhic victory in Tremor after a bloody battle ensued. The Lapuers, led by John Lapuer, 7th Baron of Dunhill and the O'Driscolls of Cork, en route to raid Waterford, were intercepted by the mayor, the sheriff and the master of the hospital of the city with a mass of locals, tradesmen and Englishmen behind them. All three men leading the defence were killed, but as too was the head of the Lapuer clan, John, and his brother Bennett, leaving no direct heir to Dunhill. The deaths of these crucial Lapuer leaders meant Dunhill Castle would be inherited by Nicholas Lapuer of Kilmeaden in the early 1380s, uniting the two castles under one specific branch of the name. The new residing clan members remained mostly peaceful for the next few centuries, producing sheriffs of Waterford, though at times holding their position forcefully while still rebelling against the Crown's law. This peace remained until the Cromwellian Wars of the 17th century. Sparked by objection to the Protestant plantations of Ulster beginning in 1609, resulting in a sectarian conflict between those and the Catholics and exacerbated by betrayal and what should have been a bloodless rising and a very achievable one at that. Ireland was torn by war by 1642. Two-thirds of the country was controlled by the Confederate Irish and England was occupied by its own civil war, leaving few Englishmen garrisoned in the country. A perfect opportunity for a full-scale rebellion. Unfortunately for the Confederates, by 1646, after many victories, the English Civil War ended and a mass of parliamentarian troops were ordered to Dublin and Cork. Over the next four years, Ireland would see great defeat. In August 1647, the Confederates would see its most devastating defeat at Dungan's Hill, south of Trim Castle and the River Boyne. The Confederates' most well-equipped and best-trained force, the Leinster Army, consisting of 8,000, marched on Dublin when they were caught off guard by Colonel Michael Jones with 6,500 men at his back. The Confederates, under General Thomas Preston, saw a loss of at least 3,000 men, most of whom were slaughtered after a routing and surrender had occurred. At the moralising event they would never come back from, yet the Catholic Irish still pursued. With some of the Confederates, mainly Owen Roe O'Neill, head of the O'Neills and general to the Ulster army refusing a peace with the English. In fact, refusing to the point he saw his Ulster forces fight against other confederates who sought out peace with England. He soon came to his senses though, in 1649, 
as the next three years were marked with blood in Irish history, as the Brits thought to put an end once and for all to the idea of a free Ireland. Just as Strongbow landed with archers, mailed armour and cavalry, boasting their advancements in warfare, Oliver Cromwell arrived with a new model army and their artillery units. After massacring Drogheda as a sign of what's to come, he secured the east coast of the island to assure a supply run from England. Cromwell then set his sights on the regions of Wexford and Waterford to take control of the ports of the island's major walled cities. The ports once used to receive supplies from other Catholic countries during the Confederate Wars. Cromwell was not on the island to defeat the Irish Catholics. He was on a conquest to eradicate them, taking their wealth and lands and gifting it to his own men. One of the unfortunate families to be confronted with this unstoppable force was the Lapuere clan of Waterford. On the days before Oliver Cromwell marched on Dunhill Castle in early December of 1649, the head of the household, Sir John Lapuere, had left Dunhill to attend to other matters. This meant leaving alone with a small garrison, Lady Giles, his wife. Lady Giles was forced to defend her home at the arrival of Cromwell and the new model army. She put every ounce of her ability into the defence against the battle-worn army who struggled with the strategic placement of the fortified building, being impregnable from two sides and sitting atop a large hill. She stood with her men day and night, encouraging them to fight until death, and it was working in her favour. It seems as though the attacking army were having little success, growing more exhausted with every blast of artillery and showing signs of inevitable retreat. As too, the garrison grew tired. The lieutenant gunner asked Lady Giles for food and drink to refresh his men. For reasons unknown, possibly that Lady Giles wished to keep her men sharp, he was brought buttermilk instead of the customary beer. The gunner took insult to this and was so displeased and in reality probably as a result of exhaustion. In an act of rage against Lady Giles, he threw up a signal of surrender from the battlements and let Cromwell and his men enter the castle with no resistance. A massive explosion of gunpowder ensued inside the walls with Cromwell's men, thought to have killed Lady Giles. Meanwhile, the surrendering gunner was taken and hanged by Cromwell, who was quoted calling him a traitor. The land was passed to one of Cromwell's men named John Cole, but the castle was never occupied again. Over the last 350 years, weathering has taken its toll on what was left of the structure, leaving behind a tower built in the 15th century with some remnants of the original 13th century walls. Cashlan Curramore Curramore Castle The 12th century site of Curramore is a rare and historically rich place and now regarded as possibly the most important country house in Ireland. The original wooden fort, built by Sir Roger Le Poire, evolved into a stone tower by the 15th century, constructed by Richard the Bad Le Poire. Richard the Bad, chieftain of the Le Poire clan, took the position of Sheriff of Waterford, though not with the support of the people, in 1445, after the death of the previous sheriff, MacDavid Rua Le Poire, the Red Son of David, who was regarded as a good and fair sheriff. A nickname like the Bad does not come easily in the late medieval age, Richard, who was in an open rebellion against Henry VI, frequently tormented the citizens of Waterford, murdering, robbing and assaulting everyone from bailiffs to merchants to commoners without a care as he ruled over Puerta. For decades, Richard managed to retain the title of sheriff, despite being opposed by the Irish Parliament in 1476, who recorded of the situation, 
There is no rule or government, but murder and spoiling, robbery and universal rebellion. All nicknames aside, the tower he built at Curramar still stands today, but not as you might think. The Victorian mansion with Georgian ranges flanking both sides was built surrounding and encasing the medieval keep, being preserved as part of the house in 1700 by James Le Poer. After his death in 1704 and the end of the male line of Le Poer of Curramar, the entire estate fell to his young daughter Lady Catherine, who saw to a lot of its additions and renovations. Catherine married Marcus Beresford in 1717 and began a new line to Curramar. Before the Georgian or Victorian ages though, there was a brief period when the castle was endangered and the future of lords and earls of the Lapuer clan was almost brought to an end. Curramar was the second of the Lapuer keeps to have the Cromwellian army marched on during the winter of 1649. Cromwell and his men were rampaging through a cold, wet and windy Waterford, with conditions so bad he was quoted saying, So terrible a day as I never marched in all my life. Seizing, hanging, massacring without question, until his men reached Curramore Castle. Residing in the castle at the time was John Le Poer, 5th Lord in Curramore and his family. A family with some Catholic sympathies and possible involvements with the Irish Confederates. Though John's mother-in-law, Kimber Pifo, who was a stern Protestant woman with power within the family, saw the Confederates in a more negative light. Mother of John's wife, Ruth, who had died previous to the event, Kimber had written a letter after the beginnings of the war in 1642 to the Lord Justice of Ireland, explaining that John had been visited with impediments, which had disabled him from intermeddling with his own estate and requested a guard to protect the Lord and their children from the horrors that the Confederates bestowed on the land. John, Lord of Curramore, had been declared a lunatic by 1629 and was incapable of taking care of his family or his land. The contents of this letter, which would eventually cross Cromwell's desk before he shipped to Dublin, showed an allegiance from the Lapuers of Curramore and he replied in September 1649 that the family be taken into special protection. Regardless of this promise, the New Model Army found themselves at the gate of Curramore two months after the reply. Sat idle, John was unaware of an army marched on his walls for one intent or another. Luckily, his daughter of shrewd nature had noticed and quickly devised the plan. Somehow, she managed to distract John from the goings-on and locked him in the dungeon of the castle. With John still a mentally unstable and uncompromising supporter of the Confederate cause, unable to curse the Protestant army, which would have inevitably led to the utter destruction of the castle and the Lapuer of Waterford, his daughter opened the gates and greeted Cromwell's emissary with the key to the castle. This sign of loyalty, in combination with the letter written previously, and in addition to a promise made by John's daughter that her father would be willing to prove his allegiance if required, was plenty enough for the men to turn their backs and head on towards Dunhill Castle. It's not recorded if Cromwell and his men had planned to sack the castle or not, Perhaps they didn't recognise it as the Lapuer estate Lady Pifo had written from until greeted, or maybe, as the family stated more recently, they greeted Cromwell with tea and he went on his way. The house is still today in possession of the Lapuer family. The estate claims a direct descendancy of Roger Lapuer, a traveller to Ireland over 800 years ago. There is some dispute whether it's correct though, as the ancestry gets spotty at times. 
Only once, however, has the barony fell to a woman as mentioned, the Lady Catherine Lepore, who married Sir Marcus Beresford, and soon after his death in 1767, their son gained a title representing the lineage, the Marquis of Waterford. Henry Nicholas de la Poer Beresford, 9th Marquis of Waterford, formerly Earl of Tyrone, has lived at Curramore House since 2015 and has spent most of his life travelling back and forth to England to manage farms, stables and polo teams. More recently, however, he and his family are working towards opening the house and grounds more often to the public to help with the upkeep funds to take care for the massive estate. Cashlan Kilvio Don Kilmeadon Castle Kilmeadon, now most notable for its cheese, ties into the medieval history of Ireland, though the castle itself lacks in historical documents, unfortunately. The area was renowned for its markets and trade, both locally and with the English, specifically Bristol in the 13th century, as some records have shown. The fort that once stood beside the bank of the Sur River, roughly 10 kilometres west of Waterford City, thought to have been built by Bennett Le Poer, second son to the 5th Baron of Dunhill, may have provided safety to the port on the river and profited from import and trade. The lands of Kilmeadon changed hands several times in the 14th century, as the castle founder Bennett died in 1328, as did his brother Sir Pierce and his son John, during a conflict with the Geraldine clan of Desmond. This left only Bennett's younger brother Eustace Lepore as the heir to the estate. Later that century, around 1370, a notable leader who was mentioned earlier, Nicholas Lepore, who united the houses of Kilmeadon and Dunhill, resided in the keep, where now lies a partial ruin that was once part of a manor house sat on the lands of an ancient castle. The first of the three Lepore castles in Cromwell's path to Waterford City were met with the same hostilities they would show to Dunhill. The moated castle must have seen great blasts from the army's artillery units, destroying everything in their path. The castle was breached, sacked and burned. John Lepore, husband of Lady Giles, who had left Dunhill Castle before its siege and destruction, attended Kilmeadon once he heard of a marching army. He tried desperately to hold it from the Protestant troops, but his efforts were met with the harsh sentencing of Oliver Cromwell, and he was hanged outside the castle from the nearest tree. Two walls of a tower stand in that field in Kilmeadon today from an 18th century tree-gabled house. The surrounding area probably similar to that of the times the Lepoires held it, green with fields and farmlands, with the sound of the river passing by. The Lepoire family, or Power as the surname is known today, have stamped their name in history not only in Ireland, but England, Wales, France and beyond. The origins of the name have been debated, but it's thought possible that they are rooted in Irish ancestry from Opor. According to Doveltock McFerverson, the 17th century historian and genealogist who studied the family's heritage at Trinity College Dublin, the Opor name, which was Normanised to Lepoir and then Anglicised to Power, supposedly stemmed from Richard, brother of Eustace, who was the ancestor of Poor, whose son was Opor. The name that is still the most popular surname in Waterford today has great stories attached to it from brave soldiers of the Williamite Wars to a man starved to death due to association with an alleged witch. A name truly soaked in rich, far-fetched and fantastic tales. <laughs>